about this talk for uh, a number of weeks now, a number of months actually. So um, it's finally here. It's a bit like Christmas. Been waiting to open my presents with a sense of expectation, but I don't quite know what's going to happen. Just like Christmas, you don't quite know what we're going to get. So is it all right if I just speak to you today for the next however long it's going to be, 40 minutes or so? Is that okay with you? Yes. Brilliant. Let's go for it then. So that's what I'm calling it today. You'll find out why in a minute. So, um, and I know it's a, it's a bit of a, a cliche, a bit of a preacher's cliche, but what has just happened in the worship is exactly what I'm going to speak on today. I mean, it's amazing. The last few things that people said, with Fran coming up and sharing from her heart, and then with Helen coming basically saying that God just wants to come, us to come before Him exactly as we are. It's pretty much exactly what I'm going to say today. I could li- I could just sit down, and I'm, I'm happy that God has already said everything he wants to say, but I'm going to say it again, um, just to really get the message home. So, I mean, that's a real uh, encouragement for me. It's, it's an encouragement for us. God has already said what he wants to say. It's fantastic. So I want to start off in Job. So if you want to turn to Job. Um, so I want to just briefly outline, first of all, what like the story of Job, if you don't know what it is, or just to remind you about the story of Job, if you've heard it before. It's quite a, it's quite a strange story. Certainly the start of it is quite weird. Um, in that what happens, it's not really explained necessarily. Um, so that leaves some questions unanswered. So the story of Job, um, it's just before Psalms. This is how this is how it starts off. It says that this guy called Job, and he was upright and blameless. He feared God and shunned evil. And he was says later on that he was the greatest man in all the people of the East. So here's Job, and he's a really good guy. He's a really godly guy. He loves God. He knows God. People look up to him. He says later on in his list of stuff that he he does, he says that I I, I cared for the poor, I cared for the sick, I really looked after people. He's a really fantastic person. And um and God thinks so too. It says that there's this quite a strange thing that happened, verse looking down at verse six here. It says that one day the angels came to present before the Lord, and Satan came with them also, and the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And he says, I've just been going around the earth and then which is quite weird but i'm not going to talk about that um so uh, if you've got any questions save those for another time and god says (laughs) god says have you seen job he's brilliant he is this is what he says says have you considered my servant job there is no one like him on the earth he is blameless and upright he fears god and he shuns evil so God is basically bragging about Job. He says, have you seen this guy Job? He is re- he's, he's amazing. He's really righteous and upright. And Satan's reply is, yeah, the only reason he's righteous is because you love him so much. It's because you do good stuff for him. You blessed him so much. That's the only reason why he's such a good man. And God is so confident that that is not the case. He says, no, I'm, I've got confidence in Job. So he, again, I don't understand why this is happening. But he basically gives Satan permission to to cause a lot of suffering in this guy's life. Is there some kind of divine bet that's going on? And um and that's exactly what happens. So all these awful, awful things happen to Job that he didn't deserve at all. All these really, really bad things. It says that his all his children were killed, um all his property was stolen or destroyed, um, all his livestock was attacked and stolen 
Basically, everything that he has is taken away from him. Um, the only person left we find out later on is his wife. His, do- his sons and daughters are killed. All his property is destroyed. And, um, and it says that this, he, he tore his robe and shaved his head, which is a sign of grief. And then he fell to the ground and he worshipped God. And he said, naked from my mother's womb, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And it says, in all this, Job did, Job did not, did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So we have that situation, this awful thing happens to Job. And then it happens again. So then Satan goes, yeah, but if you, you know, if you really cause him to suffer, if you actually inflict him personally with illness, then, then he'll definitely reject his integrity and he'll blame you. And so God says, right, fine, go ahead. And basically he got really, really ill. He really suffered a lot in his body. And he refused, again, he refused to relinquish his integrity. So he, he refused to, so it says here, his wife, this is Job 2 verse 9. He says, are you still holding on to your integrity? This, this wife says to him, curse God and die. Um, that's quite <laughs> quite a loaded thing to say there. Curse God and die. And he says, you're talking like a fool. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to accept good and, you know, if I'm accept good from God, I'll accept trouble as one. It says, again, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So this awful stuff happened to him, but he's, I'm not going to give up my integrity. I'm not going to blame God for this. I'm not going to curse God. And then three of his friends arrive uh, to come and comfort him. And it says that they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And the rest of the book of Job is quite long and it's basically a load of people talking. So it's Job talking to his friends, trying to work out why this has happened to him and trying to talk about what's going on. And in the end, God turns up and like joins the conversation too, but we don't find that out to the end. And um, so Job starts to t- Job starts to speak to his friends, and given that he's a really righteous man, given that he's really godly, that he knows God and he loves God, and then it's already said earlier that he did not give up his integrity by blaming God or cursing God, and that God was so impressed with this guy's righteousness that he he basically said, "Have you seen this guy? He's amazing." You might be surprised at what he says next. Um, because what he then can, what he then does is he talks at length and in great detail about his suffering. He complains to his friends about everything that's happened to him. And he really, he, he lays his heart bare. And it's difficult reading. It's really, really difficult reading. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read out some of the things he says to you. And it's quite, it's quite a warning. This is, this is quite hardcore. So he says, he starts off by, by cursing the day that he'd been born. And then in chapter 3, verse 11, he starts to say, he says, I wish I'd never been born. He says, in fact, he said, I wish, I wish I'd died at birth. His suffering is so great. This is what it says in verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nurse? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest. It's a pretty dark place to go, to say, I, I wish, I wish I'd died at birth. I wish I hadn't been born. And then later on, he taught, he says, if you turn over, so 326, he says, I have no peace. 
I have no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. This is a man who's in a really difficult place. He's in a really dark place. He, he even says later on, he, he basically says he wishes God would end his life. So he's not going to kill himself, but he says, I want this to be over. I wish this was over. He says in, in 6, 8, that's what he says. He says, oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant me what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off. Then I would still have this conf- this consolation, that my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. That's what he wants. He says, this is my joy. Please give me this one joy, this one consolation, that I die now and not having cursed God. I just want to die now, that I've, my words have been good. He says later on, he says, and this is 10, 20 and 22. He says, are not my few days almost over? Turn away from me so that I can have a moment's joy before I go to the place of no return, to the land of gloom and deep shadow, to the land of deepest night, of deep shadow and disorder, where even the light is darkness. So basically he's saying there, I'm almost over. I want to go there. I want to I hurry up and go to the place of no return. And later on, I'll just read you one more. It's pretty heavy stuff. He says, 14, 13, he says, if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger had passed. So it's pretty heavy. <laughs> it's pretty dark. This guy is upset. He's had his life just got really tough. His children just died. All his possessions were taken from him. His wife is having a go at him. It's getting really, really difficult. And this is his, his response, his response. And there's verses and ver- I've just selected a few. There's, there's verses and verses of this where he basically talks about how heartbroken he is that this has happened to him. And my question is, how would we, how would we respond if someone spoke like that to us? What would our response be? I don't know, like in, in today's world, in the modern world that we live in, we might say that his mental health is not all that it should be. He's, he clearly seems to be suffering from depression. This guy is really, really down. He says that he just sat there for seven days not saying a word. That sounds like someone who's really suffering in their minds, in their emotions. And, and why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be suffering that way? He'd been through a really, really traumatic experience. What happened to him was not good. If we go through physical trauma, if we, if something really difficult happens to our bodies, then we would be, then we'd expect that our bodies to be suffering, to be broken or damaged in some way. And it's the same thing. If we're going through mental or emotional hardship and mental and emotional trauma, then it's not surprising that he was suffering in that manner. It's not surprising that we would have a kind of, that our, our, the health of our body gets damaged, well the health of our mind and our emotions can get damaged too. And I think that's not surprising that he responded in a way, given that what had happened to him. And what do we think about that as Christians? Are we happy with that? Are we comfortable with that? Um, are we allowed to be like that as Christians? Is he a role model for us today when we're suffering? Is that good? Aren't we as Christians, aren't we supposed to be full of joy and hope and gladness and we love God and everything is great and brilliant? Isn't that how we're supposed to be? 
I don't know. Like, what, what, I'm just asking you to think. What is your response to Job? Do you think he did the right thing by responding in that manner? Um, I think, I think any other response from Job would be a bit weird, would be un- unexpected. Again, I'm going to say again, like what he went through is really, really tough and really difficult. And to respond in any other way would be weird and would be strange. And um, part of the reason why I wanted to bring this talk today is God spoke to me and um, it changed my life in a way. Um, um because I was reading this and God really spoke to me because I've, I've had issues with depression myself for quite a long time. I was really quite depressed. Um, so someone said, someone in this church, they gave a testimony a few weeks ago and they said how God healed them of depression and that they used to not sleep at night because they were afraid about what was going to happen tomorrow. And when they said that, that just, in my mind, I thought, oh my goodness, that's exactly how I've been living my life for quite a long time. I was, I was terrified at the prospect of tomorrow happening, um, because I was just really depressed. And so my response was that was I didn't want the what my logic was if I don't go to bed, then like this day won't end, and then the next day can't start. Does that make sense? Yeah, if I don't end this day, I can't, the next day won't begin. And so I didn't go to bed for a long time, and, and that meant I got hardly any sleep. So for a long time, I was living my life on a very little sleep because of where I was in my mind. And then when you're really, really knackered, and when you have no sleep, it's really hard to deal with difficult things. It's really hard to deal with trying to get your mind in the right place when you're really tired like that. And um, I remember some... Some friends, that some some of my work colleagues, we were having, this was uh, about six or seven months ago, they were having a discussion about what was the best period in your life? What was the best age to be? So most people in, in the department I work in, here in the, kind of in their thir- late, late 30s, early 40s, that kind of age, and the general consensus at the 20s were the best age to be. That was the best age to be in terms of the mix of like freedom that you have and not much responsibility. I remember just thinking in my mind, so I'm 33 now, I remember thinking, no, I'm not 33, I'm 33 in... 11 days time. I'm 32. Gave a bit ahead of myself there. Um, I remember thinking, for me, the 20s were my decade of depression. And it just made me really sad that I'd, that had happened to me, that I'd been through that. I just thought, that's really rubbish. So that's your best decade. That was the general consensus. And for me, it was really difficult. I mean, some fantastic things happened in that decade. I got, my 20s, I got married and I had children, got a job. But it was really, I suffered through it. And God spoke to me. I was reading Job and he said, you know what, John? It's all right that that happened to you. It's okay. It's it's fine that that happened to you. Because I think I've been blaming myself. Um, Because what happens at the end of Job, we find that Job is actually vindicated by God and he's justified by God. And God says to him, what you did was good and you spoke the truth and your friends didn't. Um... Because let's look at what Job's friends said. So his apparent friends who've come to comfort him. How did, how did Job's friends respond? How did Job's friends respond? Well, they responded in a really unhelpful way. Okay. They basically said one of two things. They said either, uh, you shouldn't speak like that. It's wrong for you to speak about God in that manner. It was wrong for you to speak about in that manner. Or he says that you must have sinned for this to happen to you. You must have done something wrong. So if you want to turn to Job 4, 
This is, so I'm just going to look at this one guy. So he, they say the same thing throughout. But this is what it says, 4, 1 to 6. He says, if someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how many you ha- think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened many faltering knees. But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Basically saying, look, you, when other people are going, we're having a hard time, you looked after them and now you're going through a hard time and you're, you're moaning about it. You're discouraged. Now trouble has come upon you, which is not a helpful thing to say, to put it lightly. And the other response that people said is basically that you had sinned for this to happen to you. So in eleven, anyway, I'm not okay. Yeah, in eleven, thirteen to fifteen. Let's just have a quick look at that. He says, "Yeah, if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame." So basically, they're saying to him, something bad must. Have, so either you must have sinned, or you shouldn't be like this. But we know that that isn't true. We know that actually. God was so impressed with Job that he boasted about him. God was so impressed with how godly Job was that he said, look, have you seen Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. And at the end of the book, God joins the conversation and Job is proved right. This is what he says in, in um, right at the end, in four, chapter 42. He says, your friends, he says, they did not speak what is right about me. They did not speak the truth about me. So when they said to him, no, 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 you're not allowed to talk like that. You must have done something wrong for this to be happening to you. And you know what? We have permission to be like this too. I think we have permission to be like Job. Sometimes, sometimes we're Christians, we sometimes think that we need to put a face on. We need to pretend that everything is fine when it isn't. We need to pretend that every, we're joyful. You know, how are you? What's the answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I think uh, was, uh, someone said something to me. We went out, was it on Friday night? I said it, someone said to me, how are you? And I asked them how they were and they didn't say fine. So I had to remind them, excuse me. The response is fine. That is how I am. <laughs> And if you're not, then they're, like one of Job's comforters said, comforters, either you must have sinned or you're not allowed to talk like that. So we think that we have to be happy and joyful because that's what the Bible says, we think. And it's difficult to admit failure or difficulty, but it's honest and it's real. And Christians, we have some weird ideas sometimes. There are some strange ideas going out there. You need to be careful what we, you know, we need to be careful what we read. And when I was at, um, when I was at university, I used to go to the Christian Union, and we used to get different people coming in every week to speak. And that was a good experience in some reg- regards, that it enabled me to hear lots of different opinions. And there were some very strange opinions put forward. I remember one person, he was, ve- he was probably one of the most controversial guys to speak. He said that, um, I basically said, you can't have mental illness. Mental illness is not a thing. It's not in the Bible. And uh, if you have mental illness, you really have a demon inside you that is causing the mental illness. Which, that's not helpful for people to hear. Um, 
I read one statistic that one in four people will suffer from mental illness at some point in their life. And um, so there are some weird ideas going out there as Christ- in, in the kind of Christian sphere about how we should be responding. And it's not just in, in the book of Job that's like this, it's all over the Bible. So if I want, to, I want to look at a few Psalms. The Psalms are full of examples of people talking about difficulty and talking about suffering and talking about hard things which are happening in their life. I just want to have a quick look at some of them. So in Psalm 6, this is what he says in Psalm 6. He says, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping. This is 6 verse 6. And I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and they fail because of all my foes. He's worn out from groaning. So these are worship songs. Can I just remind you of that? These are worship songs. These are songs to sing to God. These are songs and prayers which are sung to God. That's verse 6. I weep all night long. Sorry, chapter 6. This is Psalm 13. Psalm 13. I want to read you Psalm 13. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long may my enemy triumph over me? I want to look at Psalm 102. This is the last one I'm going to look at, Psalm 102. Spend a bit more time on this one. Just the start of Psalm 102. He says, Here in my Bible, this is the little... um. This is a little description of this psalm. It says, A prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and pours out his lament before the Lord. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. Because of my loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I am like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake and have become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my name as a curse. And I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. That guy sounds like he's really suffering. I mean, what's going on in that one there? So, uh, his bones are burning like glowing embers. Sounds like he's physically in pain. I forget to eat my food. Sounds like an eating disorder. Later on, he says, I eat ashes as my food. So he's, he's got an eating disorder. I'm reduced to skin and bones. Physically, this guy's not doing well. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl among the ruins. I lie awake, like, so he's got a sleeping disorder. I'm lying awake in the middle of the night like a bird alone on a roof. He's really lonely. He hasn't got many friends around him. All day long, my enemies taught me. People are making fun of him. This guy's going for a tough time. Yeah? And these are worship songs. Yeah, these are worship songs. I want to sing that one. Um, so these, these are not just private prayers, prayers. These are public prayers. These are prayers to be said in public. Is it right that we pray to God like that? Are we allowed to pray to God like that? You might say, well, it's not helpful to come out of church and just say all the stuff which is going on, which is difficult. Well, if it wasn't helpful, why did God put it in the Bible? These are model prayers. 
These are prayers which are in line with the will of God. If they're not in the will of God, then they're not, they wouldn't be in the Bible. Yeah? Do we pray like that public, do we pray like that privately? Well, we shouldn't feel guilty if we do. Because they're in the Bible. And do we pray like that publicly? Well, why not? They're, they're worship songs designed to be sung publicly. So, kudos to Fran for coming and saying that. You know, I think that we have permission to pray like that in church meetings. You know, I think it's honest and it's truthful. And it does us good when we hear other people being honest and truthful about what is going on in their lives. It builds our faith. And I've per- I personally, I've been encouraged when I've heard other people praying like that. You know, I know what's going on in your life, but you still, you're being honest and you're not afraid to be honest in front of us and in front of God. You know, it's good when you're, when you're feeling that way, it's encouraging to pick up the Bible and find that the Bible says, I'm lying awake and I'm crying. And it's good to read that in the Bible and to know that the Bible says that it's good to pray that way. Hmm. Is this good? Is this helpful? Yeah. You know, so, well, well, we might say, hang on, well, that's the Old Testament. This is, the, we're living in New Testament times. The Spirit lives in us. What about, what about New Testament times? Isn't the Holy Spirit bringing us joy and life and peace? Well, I just want to turn your attention, well, he does, but I want to turn your attention to 2 Corinthians. Can you just skip forward, if you'd like to, to 2 Corinthians? We're going to look at chapter 11 to start off with. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, okay? And the reason he's writing to the church in Corinth is there's some other people who've come into the church and they're trying to discredit Paul and his teaching. And they're trying to spread false teaching. So Paul's writing to the church to try and convince them not to listen to these people. And one of the ways he does it is he's trying to convince them of the genuine life that he has led and how he's always been honest with them. And he says some interesting things. In verse 11, no, chapter 11, verse 5, he says this brilliant phrase. He says, I'm not like these super apostles, which sounds like a very modern kind of phrase, but it's in there in the Bible. He says, I'm not like these super apostles, these people coming into you. He says, no. He says, I'm not like those people. Instead, he boasts in the things that he's suffered as proof of the genuine life that he has in God. So in verse, in chapter 11, later on in verse 23, this is what he says. He says, Are they servants in Christ? I am more. I have worked harder. I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been in constant danger on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from my gentles and from Gentiles, in danger um, in the city in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have laboured and toiled and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So he doesn't say, guys, you should listen to me because I'm brilliant. I've got this amazing life. Look at me. He says, no, this is, this is the proof. This is what I'll boast in. This is the genuine experience that I have. So he, 
he admits to his hardships, and God used this guy to write most of the New Testament. And in verse, in chapter 4 of the same book, he says some other things here. He says, when, again, when he's talking about some of the hard things he's going through, he says, I'm hard-pressed, I'm in despair, <laughs> I'm persecuted, and I'm being struck down. So he's talking quite honestly about the difficult things he's going through. But I have to confess to you that I haven't been entirely honest with you up to this point. Okay, sorry about that. And the reason I haven't been entirely honest with you is that I've been quite selective in some of the things I've been saying. I haven't given you the whole truth. Okay, so far what I've been trying to say is that God's grace to us in suffering is that it's okay and it's good to be honest about that. Okay, it's helpful and we have permission to do that, to pray like that to God and to pray like that publicly, to be honest. God accepts us just as we are. God accepts us just as we are. And that's what I'd like you to know up to this point. God accepts us just as we are. But there's more to it than that. It doesn't stop there. He, it doesn't stop there. He, he died for us that we could be close to him. He died for us that the punishment that we had to pay for sin, we didn't have to pay anymore. But he hasn't left us there. He sent the Holy Spirit to us to empower us to change. God cares about every detail of our lives and he wants to do us good. I want to finish the one I just read there. In chapter 4, I I butchered that verse because I wanted to make a point. But I'll read it properly now. This is what it says. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. You know, Jesus himself said, he says this in John 16, 33. He says, we will have trouble. He says, I promise you, you will have trouble in this life. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Can we just go back and look at some of those Psalms that we read earlier? Because like I said, I haven't finished. I didn't read to you the whole of it. Every time in these Psalms, they cry out to God and they talk about the difficulties they're going through. They don't stop there. So can I finish off chapter 6, verse uh, uh, Psalm 6. He says, I'm worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed from we- with weeping. I, my, I drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and I fail because of my foes. And then he says, Away from me, you who do evil, because the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Hmm. And then, and again, in Psalm 13, he says, again, he talks about how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? He says, I have been overcome. But then he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. So we can be honest and we can be open and we can talk openly and bluntly to God about how we feel, but it doesn't finish there. There's always hope. There's always joy. I will trust in your unfailing love. That's what he says in Psalms. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And again, if we go to Psalm 102. Hmm. Let me just finish off reading that one. 
It says, but you, O Lord, you sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. And he goes on to say how you will rebuild us in glory. You will appear in your glory and you will respond to the prayer of the destitute and you will not despise, despise their plea. You know, we have an amazing hope as Christians. We have a fantastic hope. We know that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what happens in this life, we know where we're going and we know where we're heading and we know that one day we're going to be with Jesus we're going to be with him in glory. We're going to be with him in perfection. And it's going to be okay. We have this hope before us. Hmm. Right, I just want to say one other thing. I'm getting near the end here. Um, so why did I call it, why is there a bear in my life? Well, I want to talk about David. Can we turn to Ch- uh, Samuel 17? Samuel 17. And looking at verse 32. So David, he was the guy who killed Goliath. He went on to be one of the greatest kings of Israel. And he he had some pretty difficult things happen to him. So the situation with David and Goliath, so this guy called so um, the nation of Israel, they were at war with the Philistines, and they were going to go fight them. This guy called Goliath came out, and he was... Uh, he was really strong and he was a very good fighter and none of the other people in Israel wanted to fight him. They said, if you fight me and if you kill me, then you guys win, but no one would go. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. I just want to read from Psalm, from verse 32. This is what um, David said. He says, right, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out and fight this Philistine. You are only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. And this is David's response. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who defied me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So first of all, like David, he killed a bear. He killed a bear. Um, That's pretty cool. Um, I'm not quite sure how he did it, but it said that he killed a bear. And and we need people in our lives who've killed bears. We need people in church who've killed bears because what happened after he killed a bear, he went on and he killed Goliath. He said, I killed a bear and now I'll kill your Goliath. Now we need people who have had bears in their lives. So when Goliath comes, they say, the same Lord who delivered me from the bear, he'll deliver me from your Goliath. I killed a bear and now I can take on him. You know, David, he could have, if we look at it another way, he could have complained to God when he was looking after his sheep. God, why are these bears attacking me? Why aren't you protecting me, God? Here I am. I'm the youngest. I've been told to look after sheep. I love God. And I'm trying to look after my sheep. But God, these bears keep coming. Can you do something about that, please? The bears and the lions. I thought you were going to protect me. I thought that's, I thought that's, I thought that was your promise that you would protect me, but this bear came and I had to fight it. 
I mean, he doesn't say that though, but I think he could quite easily have done that. Instead, he's like, yeah, I killed that bear, and now I'll kill Goliath. And I think we can be the same. Here we are, living in Solihull, tending our sheep, and then a bear comes along. And what's our response? Why isn't God protecting me from this? Why has this happened? This is really hard. This is really difficult. Now I have to fight a bear. But God had bigger plans for David. You know, God doesn't cause, God doesn't deliberately cause hardship in our lives, but He uses everything that happens for good. You know, and the bear was His problem, but Goliath was someone else's problem. So the strength and the faith that He derived from killing the bear enabled Him to then go on and take on Goliath. You know, we need people in our church who have fought bears. So when Goliath comes, you know, they're ready. You know, I killed, and <laughs> I didn't kill. You know, I had some difficult things. I mean, we've all had difficult things in my life. So depression, I talked about that earlier. The same God who delivered me from depression, he'll deliver me from what happens next. I've got experiences in my life where God has done amazing things. I had a real problem where I didn't have a car for a while. A car broke, and I needed a, a genuine miracle. And that was the first time I'd really trusted God for uh, for things financially, because we couldn't afford to buy a new car, or so we thought. And um, and I gave the first. Rob encouraged me to um, to trust God that we'd get a car. And I, I had never done this before, but I gave God a timetable. I said, God, by this date, I need a car. And um. And then it looked like it was all going wrong, because then the car I had broke down, and that wasn't good. It literally, driving and the engine broke. And um, I thought, God, what is going on? The car is broken, but I've, by this date, I need a car. And I got a car on my birthday, actually, which is really cool. So the same God that got me that car, he can sort the next financial problem I have out. You know, marriage, as we know, can be difficult. You know, I'm being honest, we, you know, we've had difficulties in our marriage, but the same God that fixed that, He'll deliver me from the next thing too. You know, and maybe, maybe you've had things in your life too. But the same God who delivered you from your difficulties will deliver you from the next thing. It says in, in going back to that 2 Corinthians verse in chapter 4, it says, we had, just before that, he says, we have these treasures, this, the treasure, the glory of God, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So that the all-surpassing... I want to go to it, actually, rather than try and remember. Let me just go to it. I've lost it. Here we go. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Maybe right now, maybe you're... I'm just coming to finish here. He says, maybe you're David. Maybe you're David right now. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. But you know that God will bring you through it. And you know that because of it, your understanding of the faithfulness of God is going to grow. That you're going to be blessed in your, as you see God be faithful. And that because of what you've been through, you know you're going to be a blessing to others who are going through difficult things too. Maybe you're Job right now. Maybe you're just hurting. In which case, we need to know it's okay to be honest. It's okay just to say to God, God... I don't know why this is happening, and it's really difficult. It doesn't make us any less of a Christian. In Isaiah 63.9, it says, In all their distress, he too was distressed. Okay, and that's pretty much all I have to say.
Shall we pray? Is that okay? Shall we stand up?